0: everybody what's the crack and welcome back to episode number 18 of the inline g flute podcast with me your host motherfucking inline g guys you've seen in the title you know what's coming up in this episode but before i let you loose on that interview let me do a little bit of housekeeping for three months i have promised you a big guest on this podcast i promised you a big fish i said a real one in and this week i've reeled in a fucking whopper i've got shamu on the podcast this week I am thrilled to announce, ladies and gentlemen, and all in between, that the guest on this week's Inline G Flute podcast is none other than Gary fucking Shocker. Yeah, you heard me right. The flute superstar, Gary Shocker. I've just finished talking with him literally 10 minutes ago. We had a blast. We talked about studies. We talked about balance. We talked about Mozart. We talked about New York in the 70s. We talked about everything. We addressed that Florida issue. We talked about it all. He even played some Beatles for me at the end on his harpsichord. No, I'm not making that up. Go and check out the episode. Now, the episode was recorded virtually, which is a rule I don't do. I don't do online interviews because online interviews, the video gets all pixelated, the audio quality is dog shit. It's awful. And I wouldn't excuse that in this podcast, but I have spent a week working out some new software because this is too big an opportunity to turn down. So the videos were recorded locally, as was the audio. So that means as we did the online interview, they were recorded on your computers at the same time uploaded to the cloud. I have downloaded those high quality versions so you get nothing but the fucking best, especially you audio listeners, where it's as crisp as a Belfast Sunday morning in October. So, guys, there's a new listeners here, I imagine because there's a big guess. So, quickly, housekeeping. Uh, if you go into the description of the podcast, you will find the chapters. You'll find that for all my episodes. I'm Irish, I talk a lot of bollocks sometimes, I waffle on a of it, so if you want to skip to a certain section of the podcast, go into the description and just click that and you go straight there. Secondly, this is an independent podcast. I write, produce, edit, I do the lot, all on my own. It's a passion project, I love it the fucking bits. The podcast is free. It will always be free. There will never be a Patreon, you will never get more content for paying for it. Everyone gets the same content no matter what. However, if you fancy donating to the podcast, if you watch this podcast, you think, fuck, that was brilliant. I would buy Gareth a pint if I saw him in the pub. You can do that. In the description of the YouTube video, you'll find a link towards that. In the description of all the videos, you will find that. You can also, or on Spotify and all, you'll find that there too. But the best place is to go onto my Instagram, Gareth Houston Flute. Hit the link in my bio, and there we'll be a donation page. How much do you donate? I would say whatever a beer or a Dr. Pepper costs in your country, throw that over to me. If you feel like donating, if you enjoyed it i would say no more than once a month i make four episodes a month you'll get four hours of content if you can throw me three to four euro a month that helps keep the bills on here it helps keep it going and allows me to write more episodes and dedicate more time to this podcast and listen if you can't afford it that's fine it's no problems at all everyone gets this you can listen for free no sweat at all but if you can't afford it brilliant no sweat listen guys i've talked enough i'm gonna let you loose this is my interview with Gary Shocker. uh I actually do want to start with that, though. The idea. Well, I can
1: I can talk I can talk about how I found you.
0: Oh, go for that. Yeah. Okay. Please tell me how you find me.
1: Well, my friend Cindy, my friend and student Cindy, who's been really great because she's been making my website a little bit more user friendly. Yeah. I, it's it's a very dusty website. I'm very bad at, at the self promotion stuff and. She said, you know, we really need to do something here. So she's been putting a lot of videos up on Facebook and stuff. Now I've seen yeah. I guess the new, the new big idea is all I write a lot of music, you know, and so know. she's gonna she's gonna be putting my new stuff up for sale on my website so that somebody okay. can play along with me on the piano and buy the music. Because you know, my publisher just isn't publishing as much stuff and I mean okay. I so it's so anyway, she's doing all that and she said, Oh my god, I heard this guy and he's he's really got a potty mouth but he's really I do, really
0: funny. I do. And that's not that's he, not a lie
1: and he was, and she sent me the clip when you were talking with all of those people that were getting their their uh bander up about the Florida whatever and the flu list thing yeah. where they, you know people thought I was being discriminated against yeah. for being gay and all that stuff yeah. so I was very amused by it and that's why I decided I'd, I'd give you a holler
0: well that's great I'm glad first of all I'm very flattered that it's got to the right places um but yeah, I do want to get on to that Florida thing as well because that was a that was a thing. Did you ever get to speak about that? Did you ever? I'm sure someone's approached you to talk about this at some point. No.
1: Well, I have to say that the woman who's I don't know who who's president of the thing called me.
0: Okay. And she said she said I
1: really feel terrible about this because everybody's angry at me. But you should know that there's lots of your pieces on the list. It's not just yeah. And the reason why they removed the pieces was because they were too difficult. So kids were coming in. Because they liked the cover,
0: (laughs) yeah. yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: They were coming in and playing, and they couldn't play, and and they were flunking out. Yeah. So they thought, okay, let's slash those pieces from the list. But the language that they used was so inane. I mean, they said that the music wasn't appropriate. Yeah. Just that the music is really too difficult or it's inappropriate for someone at this technical level.
0: Yeah, there was a bit of elaboration needed in that case because I I do understand the uproar a little bit given what was going on in Florida. Using the word inappropriate is a little bit vague and could have led people well, especially to draw now. Degrees. I mean our country
1: is so polarized and I mean and it's you know it's so scary like those crazy people the republicans right now they can't even elect an official and the guy that they've got up there wants to outlaw any mention of anybody who's gay or anything i know know, know. you know i mean come on i mean Uh, it's just so ridiculous so i can understand why people got upset of
0: course yeah me too yeah i know my reaction was a little bit strong on the whole thing but it was for comedic effect plus the whole american (laughs) thing sometimes i uh yeah it's no surprise to anyone listen to this podcast there's more than there's 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 more than one america there is
1: i live in in new york and it's so different Different at the house in pennsylvania we go shopping out in pennsylvania and everybody was like five times size everybody was huge
0: is pennsylvania republican or liberal
1: it's both but where i was there were a lot of trump signs
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: I mean, I live in, I was in a college town. I'm, I'm from Easton, PA, which is I a know fairly liberal place. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, right around Easton, there's some scary places. Okay. You know, People who, their, their eyes are very close together. And, yeah. You know, okay.
0: Yeah. To be honest, so obviously, I did a bit of homework before this podcast. Not that I needed to okay. do much because I know a fair bit about you. You're, you're quite a well known man in the flip world. But the first thing that comes up when you Google someone is obviously where they're from. And you came from Easton right. and, I, obviously I'm not super familiar with it but there was something in my brain that was going I've heard Easton somewhere so I went into the google list of notable people and one I only recognized two people you're not on the list by the way which is a disgrace I will be speaking to Wikipedia about this but uh the one I heard was Larry Holmes the boxer sure because yeah. he was the Easton assassin and I yeah, had never realized was, that you
1: know, he, he wanted my dad to teach him but he wanted no. my dad to he wanted my dad to go to his house and my father did had no idea even who he was and was like no i'm not going to anybody's was house was
0: he to give a a, like a world champion at that time
1: yeah, yeah it was in the i guess it was like in the 70s i think i was there yeah. in high school because I think he came and spoke
0: at my high school I would imagine so yeah. like he was heavyweight champ he was the only or the last person to stop Muhammad Ali in, like as a stop the really? fight yeah he was a real wow. he was a proper champ so yeah I'm a bit familiar with Easton I know, I know, I know a thing or two I also found uh-huh. out the only other person I know from Easton is Jack Coleman who was the senator on the US, U.S. Oh yeah, he was my babysitter. Man, come on. This is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, Jack Coleman, he was on Dynasty. He was uh, That's true, yeah. Was on, yeah. And he lived, I lived on Parker Avenue and he lived on Pennsylvania Avenue, which was just like about mm, four houses up from me, right behind me. And yeah. a couple of times, because he was, you know, he's just like three or four years older than me. And yeah, uh, he came and did that for us.
0: That's unbelievable. See, yeah you're giving me proper small town America vibes here that's incredible well yeah do you know what do you mind if I start asking a few questions from that quickly because in my very extensive research I found some really interesting things I'm not gonna I want to get to your topics very soon but there's one or two things I have to ask you because yeah I dug out some great things so I was reading about your like early life as a kid you know bit of a prodigy all that kind of stuff but one thing really stuck out to me is Is it true that you didn't learn like standard music notation until you were like 11, 12 years old?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, you know, when I was a kid, my father was a music teacher and I mean, very much loved in the community and just taught everybody. And he he had his studio. uh, It shared my bedroom, shared a wall with his studio. So I heard music all the time. And my father kind of, you know, I love my father, you know, the end of the earth, but yeah. he he shut it down my throat. He drove me crazy. We'd be in the car and he'd be saying, okay, Gary, how many the stream quartets are there? And I was like, I don't know. Do you know and, now? You know, well, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he kind of put me off all kinds of pedagogy. Maybe he did me a good, a big favor, you know, because- Yeah. You know, I. You know, just every day was a piano lesson. It's like, okay, let's do the list chromatic fingering. Now let's do the French chromatic fingering. Now what's the German chromatic fingering? And it's like, I just want to do it my way, please. Yeah. But you know, I had to listen to him because he was my dad. Yeah. But you know, I just I really couldn't read, and he kept trying to teach me because I played from before I was three. I was playing the piano.
0: That's incredible as well.
1: Well, you know, it was just there. You know, I, I and he. I think when I was about 11, he took the Haydn Serenade and he put the music in front of me and he said, look at the music. I said, I don't need to look at the music. I know it. And he said, yeah, but just look at the music and play it. And suddenly I could read music because I did it backwards. So I always tell people, you should always start without the notes because you know if you've got an ear, you can figure it out. If you don't have an ear, you should probably do something else, right?
0: Yeah, that's okay. That's a very wise point. Yeah. But then, you did compositions when you were five six seven so yeah, was someone else notating it for you you got the idea and your dad would my dad it. yeah
1: yeah my dad did and uh, I you know I was in, I think in second grade or something and I wrote this little piece and my lollipop wall I know
0: yeah I've got it written out here I've got that in my research And
1: I gotta I got find that music somewhere my I was going to ask
0: you you don't have the sheet music anymore
1: I probably do. I'm actually, you know what, I'm giving all of my music to the University of California at Santa Barbara. Wow, okay. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of a strange story, but I, years ago, I was on the internet and I saw where there was a letter that I wrote Sam Sanders that was in the Juilliard Library. So I called up the Juilliard Library and I said, hey, do you have an interest in my scores? And they said, oh, absolutely. So they sent a truck and I gave them like eight big boxes of scores and then they, they put them all in acid-free paper and pack them away and everything. And then I called them like, I don't know, five years ago. And I said, Hey, I've got a lot more scores. Do you want them? And they said, well, we don't have any room and we're using a, a like a storage facility yeah. in, in New Jersey. And so we know we can't take anymore. And I said, well, can you give me mine back? Because I don't want them in two places, you know, yeah. So they said no, we can't do that. But then they called me back and they said, okay, we'll send them back. So, I my husband has maybe the largest uh, Broadway, you know, musical yeah. archive in the world. Yeah, he wrote a book on it and, as well, didn't he? Yeah, he wrote it. He wrote the Oxford Chronology of American a, Musical Theater, yeah. and it's in all the libraries. Yeah. So anyway he is giving all of his stuff to this library so the librarian was here meeting with him once and i said hey what am i going to do with all these scores and she said well we'll take them okay so so that's kind of nice i'm going to go out there and do a concert in Fev- in early february and uh so when you say of-
0: scores are these original manuscripts as well Then the originals
1: yeah on my on my pencil because I, I never learned how to do it on the computer i'm i'm kind okay. of a, you know i'm one of those people that just does it the old-fashioned way
0: yeah i got a mod yeah to be fair there's a lot to be said for that so are they getting the original manuscripts in your handwriting then
1: yeah do you write as well
0: no i do a bit of arranging but i'm a big fan of the computer
1: oh, okay cool yeah. well you know you're younger than i am so you kind of grew up with it more and i just yeah i started out and the thing is when i first started to compose really the the most i, I wrote was when i was in high school i wrote some musicals and you know, yeah. I drove those poor kids crazy because I... Right, could can I actually,
0: a, can I ask on this? So I found this out in the research as well. I've really done my homework here. Um, I found uh, out in my research. So when you were still, before you started using normal notation or standard notation, you had written two musicals already. What were they? Can you remember what they were and what the themes oh, were? Oh yeah, it's
1: sure, sure, sure. Well, you know, um, my next door neighbor who was a friend of the family and also an English teacher called Janet Heller, a uh-huh. very much loved person in the school. And she was very naughty. I mean, okay. I remember once there was... Te- oh my devil fell over. You gotta get the devil, right? So she, she... I remember there was a teacher strike at the high school and she made... Her husband was kind of a crazy guy. Okay. And you'll like this. And he made a penis cookie cutter. Okay. And then she painted the names of all of the board... School board members on these. And she was passing them out to the strikers, you know?
0: That's rock and so, roll as fuck. I love that.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and and anyway they were a very a very colorful salty kind of yeah couple. but anyway we wrote these musicals the first one was called paragon and oh. it was actually about the illegitimate daughter of clark kent and lois lane
0: no way yeah
1: and that's, a, um, that's so a that-
0: fucking class hang on did you have an interest in comic books when you were younger or
1: no not at all i think she came up with the idea and um oh. it was just a, it was a really fun show you know it was a way to involve lots of, I think mean, there were 80 people on the stage so you know I mean, high is, is there
0: like it's a recording is there any evidence of this or yeah it-
1: I, yeah i have an lp that we had pressed no it. way is
0: it like available yeah, yeah. for purchase or have you just kept it in your own private fault i just
1: have it i should probably trans i think actually i think i did transfer it to cd if somebody wants it i'd be happy to share
0: that it. Has- i want that <laughs> yeah oh, i want okay.
1: that There's some very good songs, and actually there's some, I stole some of the music from that. Um, I'm trying to think which it was. I think the slow movement of Musique Francaise came from, Yeah. uh, something came from, one of my pieces came from, one of my more famous pieces came from that show. Ooh, maybe don't tell me. I guess it's it's the slow movement of my second piccolo sonata came came from that. It's called One Lovebird, and it's based on a song called I've Lost Him. Okay, and what was the other uh, musical
0: then? What was the the other one was
1: the other one was called Busy Bodies, and Uh that was about a class trip
0: to London. Cool. Based on real events or purely fictional no,
1: i didn't go but janet used to run these tours you know how they have these tours where they take a bunch of kids over and they have a chaperone and she was always yeah. a chaperone yeah so i can't remember the plot i just remember there was uh there were some good songs in that show
0: cool well there you are and they yeah. were done with outstanding notation then so how did you teach the singers what the words were and stuff
1: um i just did they did it by year.
0: so you would just sing the tune to them and I they would, would all take it home them
1: yeah and i would write down the melody i didn't write out the score but i was able to write out the melody but you know a lot of these kids didn't read music anyway they were just as dumb as i was was, (laughs) i don't
0: don't know know if it's dumb to have an entire musical knocking about your head that you can just share with people it's pretty impressive well you know
1: i i one thing about me I, i write really fast
0: i was actually going to ask you about this yeah i wrote
1: these shows like each of them one one took like four days and one took a week or
0: something
1: sorry (laughs) no i'm just i'm just very fast it's just the way i'm and i've tried to slow down actually when i first started you know when i started writing in in my 20s i decided well i have to write more serious music so i would take a piece and then i'd take it apart and i try to make it longer ah, yes. the and, true you know, artist I, yeah the whole thing i'm gonna end up with a piece of as you might say shite yeah, yeah. It, it just doesn't suit me it's not the way i write that's
0: do you know what i would dying to ask you about that as well because yeah you have this new piece that you sent me a recording of uh tang uh, Ta- first of all what is the name of that is it tang as in the english word for something to be tangy or i'm assuming it's a lot more exotic and interesting than that
1: no it's it's a uh, tango
0: Ah, okay.
1: And and also, it's based on a piece I wrote that somebody asked me for called Octango, which was a tango I wrote in October for piano. And Ah. so I I didn't realize at the time, but I I started writing this and somebody had just asked me for that and I sent it to her and I I had that music, I guess, in my head because after I wrote this, I realized, oh, I, I took the same kind of structure and put that together
0: there must be a lot of overlap surely with your competitions when you're composing that much stuff there must be subconscious overlap even do you ever look back at stuff and go oh look who's popped back to the party after all these years <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you know I, I get frustrated because i, I hate i don't I, I hate repeating myself but there's some patterns that i just really cannot seem to get away from and i so when they come up, I just say, okay, fine, write it. And then usually the next thing will be something different. But it's almost Ooh. like finding my footing with an old, you know, an old rhythm or something yeah. that i like.
0: So using that new piece as an example, what was the time scale for that from first idea conception to having it recorded?
1: Oh, I wrote it in a day. Oh, fuck up. Um, I write, it's, look, you know, it doesn't take long when you're doing it right. You know, here's what writing is. You get, I get an idea. And I can tell that it's a good idea. And yeah. If I know it's not a good idea and I try to write it, it's just kind of a waste of everybody's time. So I, I, I start, and then I can just kind of tell because it'll shift somewhere I didn't expect. And okay. as soon as that happens, I know, okay, this is something I should do. And then it pretty much just, I mean, I just do it. I mean, I just, uh, I, you know, let me see if I've got that here. so when you're
0: doing it are you in this kind of intense state of like concentration creative flow you're just head down for a couple of hours and you don't do anything else or is it kind of casual
1: it's kind of like i don't know where i put it darn it's here somewhere but um i i mean i could show you my sketch but pretty much like here's here's another piece i just wrote what is this Here's a piece called Moonrise that I wrote on 927. So here's the finished score. Yeah. And if I show you the the worksheet, because I keep them, it's not it's not that different. If you don't see lots of stuff crossed out. It's more like yeah, it's I just, do I just do like beautiful. Well, thanks. You know, like, well. Well, nice. It used to be better when I my when I was younger because I think my my eyes were more, you know young <laughs> yeah 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 but
0: that's incredible that you can write a piece in a day and have a go I'm... yeah yeah I know
1: that's that's kind of my thing I, de- yeah. I tend to write really fast and it's just I don't know it's just how I am
0: so when you're writing how what's the rough percentage of the amount of these pieces that will get published or get printed in some kind of form compared to ones that just get locked away
1: well um my friend Jenny has been getting all my music ready for the university of california santa barbara so she's but been going all? through all my, yeah she's just been going through all the piles of stuff that i have here that wow. weren't already catalogued and she's she estimates there's around 1600 pieces what the? so and i i currently have about 300 pieces published so it's okay. a lot, like it's a little, a little less than a fifth of whatever and then
0: the published pieces do you ever perform any pieces that aren't published
1: uh, not really. I don't get that many performances, you know, I'm not, I mean, I, I might play something when I go out to California that's new. Okay. that's probably good. Yeah. But, um, no, I generally play stuff that's already published because then if somebody wants to play it, they, yeah, you know, well, they can. that
0: was, yeah, but that's, yeah, it just, when I was making notes on this, the first thing that came into my mind when I was thinking about your massive output was, it, it feels a bit like Prince
1: wait a second did you say
0: you're a massive armpit output sorry that's my accent okay. but listen I can't I can't soften my accent because I was home in Belfast two weeks ago and I had a few people saying oh we really like the podcast but uh why are you talking about that fucking accent <laughs> and I was like I'm uh-huh. sorry I didn't mean to but I have to enunciate for the Americans and then I run back into my normal accent and people think I've said that they've got massive armpits which is uh-huh. the last thing I want to be known for um but with regards to your massive output um
1: I, i've heard i've actually heard your armpits are, are really charming
0: thank you very much yeah you're not the first person to say that gary it's been said before it's well known in fact um oh god how do we get here um yeah i've got a gin and tonic as well so things are getting
1: oh better. wow good
0: normally i have a drink on the podcast with it and then yeah it One out of five now will be an alcoholic drink. The rest of the time it'll be like a a soda or sparkling water but I thought tonight I'll get a canned gin and tonic for the the special occasion.
1: Plus where you are
0: it's like 3pm but over here it's 9.30 at night. So any excuse. But anyway back to the armpit. Um, With your output it immediately made me think of Prince. Now I'm not saying you're I'm not comparing your composition ability to Prince in any way Um, but what I'm saying is when Prince died we all found out that there was this huge vault of music that was never recorded or documented or is it going to be the same with you or like is there a huge vault somewhere of Gary Shocker music that we're never going to get to hear
1: well, I mean, I've got i got it all here, and it's all going to California, whether people play it or not. I so mean, when it goes to
0: California, it will be available to pick up. People could go. Yeah, with, yeah, people
1: will be able to. I just I'm just signing the thing with them that basically says if somebody wants a copy of something, they can. They okay. can get
0: it. That's a relief because I would hate to know that there was all this music that just sat there, moldering. Because there might be like a gem in there that you haven't appreciated. There might be your finest work yet. Your chef d'oeuvre might be in there.
1: Well, I mean, like I have. You know, I have I I have like six piano sonatas that nobody knows, and I have uh, all kinds of stuff. I have a couple of cello sonatas that nobody knows, and so it is Abernino. kind of all sitting there, and it'd be nice to you know. The thing is, when I write music, I always have to refine it when I hear it. Okay. Even even if even if I write a piece and I record the piano part and play the flute part, I'll make certain changes. Okay. But when I play with another person. It changes because my way of thinking, my way of uh, articulating—for for for example, with flute—yeah, all that, or or my way of pedaling with the piano is not anybody else's way. Okay. So I have to hear other people in order to make uh, make something more clear.
0: Okay. So you know. So to do revisions on the score as well, then.
1: Um. Yeah, or, yeah. Before I publish it, I I always go through a process with it. And okay. Then when I publish, I've published a lot of stuff with Theodore Presser, um, and a lot of times there's a back and forth there with the editor. They don't like my spelling. Okay. You know, my shark should be flats and so forth and so on. Your so spelling? Then, what? They, what
0: do they? What should should they help with your spelling? I well, you
1: know, like if I have a, if I have any natural we'll say, no, it really should be a B double flat or something like that. Ah, so,
0: okay. You're in your notational spelling, then not.
1: Yeah, you know, and I, I, you know, sometimes I say fine, sometimes I say no, leave it alone, it's fine. Okay, okay, but, uh, okay. It's always, it's always good to have, you know, there's, I have Danny Dorf is the editor there and he's a composer and he's got very good, Oh, uh, okay. he's helped help me clear some things up like that.
0: Okay, well that makes it feel a little bit more human then, because in my head <laughs> then you were throwing out a piece in the day and it was on the shelves the next morning, ready to rock, so...
1: Well, you know, I've done that a few times, but... Mo- not really. More often than, more often than not... I have, have you ever actually really...
0: composed and had something ready the next day? Like published? Or available okay. to purchase maybe? Or pre-order?
1: Sure, sure. A lot of my stuff... I mean, I've kind of changed from... Uh, I used to just write them and then just send them. And then I thought, you know, just you, you, I need to live with it a little bit more okay. to know what it is. Okay. Um, even something like a metronome marking is going to... I mean one, one thing about me is i never ever use a metronome i don't like them i think no they make people dead mm-hmm. um they're good to check a tempo yeah so and i know what they are if you if, you play, if somebody plays 96 i know it's 96. really you could but,
0: but can you know exactly what it is are you one of those people that knows like
1: usually i'm i'm yeah i'm pretty i'm yeah. pretty close if i'm not exactly right I also have really annoyingly perfect pitch
0: so I read that- this yeah quick question actually because I've asked people with perfect pitch about this and I never get a clear answer um, but someone of your level might know when you have perfect pitch is that even temperament or is that true intonation so when you hear like I don't know a major third do you hear it as if it's playing the piano or can you hear a true major third or do you have both can you identify both separately
1: i just hear a major third i never really thought about it i mean if you played a if two flutes play a, a you know a b and an e it's going to sound like a b and e and an e the same way it would on a on on an accordion or a piano yeah because
0: um, there's a, like I, there is what a very very mild difference but i'm always curious if that if that can be picked up or I mean, you know i
1: never thought about that before but i okay. i'll tell you i i mean i i literally if somebody <laughs> There's a funny joke about Jesse Norman in this, but if somebody sits down on the piano, I can tell you what the notes are. But when I try to play in an orchestra, it's murder because I get very confused when other people do funny things. Like if somebody's sharp and somebody's flat, uh, it's hard for me to discern that because I think I'm more focused on the the pitch. True pitch than, yeah. Ah, yeah,
0: because uh, yeah, I've heard that story a few times as well. I, I, Common story of touring orchestras when they go on tour across Europe, especially obviously in in Britain, it's the four four o for A, but in Germany it's four four two or four four four. And when they tour and they're playing piano concertos, it can always be a bit of a hairy moment when the piano comes in if there's a big two D at the start because it might just be a little bit in or out. And I imagine for someone with perfect pitch, that would be a nightmare. to play the different now, pianos, I, for example.
1: I had a terrible experience uh, way back in the eighties. I. I had a tour with the the Westdeutsche Sinfonien or something like that. And the woman that was running the thing, she was British, was just an amazingly
0: mean person. Oh, that's the British for you. And
1: I think she was angry because when I was with an agent called Harold Shaw, very big, Mm -hmm. he managed, uh, you know, like everybody, Milstein, Jesse Norman, you name it, they were there. And... Uh, they had the option of having me as the flute soloist playing Mozart, or having her boyfriend, who was the conductor, playing Mozart piano concerto. And every single person chose me. Yeah. So they were getting less money and less attention, and so she just hated me from the very beginning. Yeah. And they refused to lower their pitch. And you know, I've always played on uh, old flutes. My, you know, my my flutes are from the 1920s yeah. and the 50s. They wanted me to play four forty three, so I really yeah, screwed is, them
0: up. Yeah, that's high as shit for one of those old flutes.
1: Absolutely, I mean, you know, it's easy for an open C sharp, but for the rest of the notes, forget it.
0: Yeah, it'd be crazy. Yeah, I'm always fascinated about that. Yeah, with with perfect pitch, it's it's a very fascinating concept. I have nowhere near it. I, really? Yeah, if you give me a C, I could I could probably give you a D flat out of it on a good day, or a, or a B natural, but I. I'm, i struggle to get back i think
1: think part of it is like you know maybe pay attention next time somebody does it because if you get stiff in your body then you're not going to be able to tell well so actually this might gin and tonics and somebody asked you maybe you could do it
0: no no things go downhill definitely but yeah but my pitch (laughs) thing said you go downhill but that's a beautiful segue into one of the topics you wanted to talk about um did you want to talk about like uh, relaxation and balance especially and things like that with the Sure. sure. let's go with that let's well okay that natural turn that way
1: okay good well when i got into my early 30s i started to have really bad back lower back problems like I, i couldn't get out of bed so someone i knew said oh you should you should go take some alexander technique lessons and i thought okay i will and i did and within months Everything was way better. My back was still bothering me occasionally, but never debilitating. Okay. And it made me start paying attention to my playing in a different way because I was always the kind of player who just played. I did not want to be yeah. told. You strike me like, as that type yet. And, but now I'm, I, when, I, when I perform, I let go. But when I practice every day, I'm always I look at everything that I'm doing. Um, not in terms of planning how I'm going to play it, but, well, what's going on with your left ankle? Why is it so much tighter than your right ankle? What does that have to do with your thumb? You know, what are you doing? I'm always looking for new ways to okay. understand my technique. And so when I teach, I, I, I've gotten really good at it. I mean, literally, I can close my eyes and I can tell you where you're tight.
0: Wow, okay. Because I,
1: I've, I've done it. From I the mean, flute sound, you I, mean? From the sound of the
0: flute, you know where the sure, talking? yeah. Because
1: yeah, I've done it myself, so I know I, I, I know what makes that sound. So I'm I'm able mm. to figure out what's up with somebody's tongue or with their, you know, most people the most of the problems are in their hands. Yeah. Yeah, they get very fixated on their on their mouth. I but would, yeah. This is just a hole. I mean, it's really more about the whole mask, like yeah. what's going on, <laughs> and also just learning that. The tongue isn't really supposed to be pushing the sound; it's only to stop the sound. So you want your tongue to be like a big, big floppy sponge. Okay. And also, when you when you do use your tongue, I mean, when you do use your tongue to change color, that you don't bring anything along with it.
0: That's what, yeah, I'm very interested about that as well. I've had a lot of issues with my tongue because I have like this very mad, I wouldn't say a lisp, but I have like a a slightly odd thing with my tongue. And I didn't realise it until I went to study in Paris and a few teachers had brought it up and they were like, you might need to get that scene too. Um, and okay. I remember I went to a speech therapist in Paris and she was saying like, oh, because I had to do it in French, which was even more difficult. She's like, it's very odd wow. that you've got to this age and nobody's mentioned this and blah, blah, blah. And what's going on? So where are you from? You're not French. I went, no, I'm from Ireland. And she went, oh, that explains it. And that was it. <laughs> it's got oh, it doesn't die. So apparently, yeah, we learn it's like a learned habit it's not a physical thing it's a learned habit of not pronouncing it properly but when i play the flute i would use a different t articulation than what i would use in my speech because i know my speech one is very like i use the center of the tongue as the part uh-huh. of the T. Um, so i'm always fascinated by hearing about the tongue and what people think about it and where it should lie in the mouth and the role it plays because it's something i think about a lot
1: well my feeling is that the tongue has to always go back to its very relaxed state. So if you use the tongue for color, you need to, or I need to, always let it calm down. Okay. Otherwise, you know, and also if you play, if you're trying, most people when they want to sound like they're playing cleanly, they they try to play like this, Yeah. <laughs> which just locks everything up in yep. the neck and the face. So, When I tongue, it's much more like. Yeah. It's much more like there's a lot of air around what I'm doing, and I'm trying to just keep the tongue from choking my my
0: throat. Yeah. Do you think that's because of that natural association in the head of just precision is linked with tightness? So we naturally think, oh, if I want to be precise, I need to go that way. Uh, And to be relaxed is lazy almost. Yeah. 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 Well, it
1: certainly isn't lazy because there's. There's an awful lot of mental activity of I have, uh, that, I, that I've got going on when I'm playing because I, I have to kind of watch what I'm doing. It's kind of like watching somebody ice skate, but at the same time you're <laughs> you're, you're, kind of, you're kind of with them and yeah. you kind of watch them, but you want them to be able to go. And so it's, a, it's always so tricky because it can never be perfect. It's always, yeah. always something that isn't quite where I want it.
0: See, I feel like that, that's one of the way I try to describe um, technique to my students as well. Is that you're always, you're, it's always a train that's kind of slightly going off the tracks. Always during performance, you're always going one way or another. You're constantly making small adjustments. It never just goes. You never just go and play the foot and go, that's it. It's brilliant, perfect, happy days. It's always going this way. And the real skill is learning how to put it back on track quickly and efficiently mm-hmm. without really disrupting things too much. And the better you get at it, the less noticeable it becomes as well
1: hmm that's a good it sounds like you're a good teacher oh well i might say some people
0: say that i don't know some people say that but some people say i'm the finest teacher of a generation but i don't know (laughs) that's for other people to say that i wouldn't say something like that myself that's an absolute lie but um balance so when you were talking about balance earlier what did you mean yeah well
1: i mean again with the flute i feel like it's like the 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 arms kind of come out of the the back out of the spine uh-huh. and the spine has to feel free and also be used in one piece and people tend to break the spine either by pushing down with the ribs which also listen to what that does to my yeah. throat
2: yeah.
1: or they or they pull up like this and then they're very tight in the low back so they don't have a good connection to the diaphragm so there are all kinds of funny things people do because they think that they need to do something right when okay mostly uh, my experience is I just I listen and when it's great I say okay what are you doing what's different and then I immediately do it my habitual way to see what the difference is between that and what I've just done a lot of people are afraid to do that because they think you know once they've found the El Dorado they don't you know, they don't want to go back to New Jersey, but yeah, you have to kind of, you done. have to really be willing to play it the wrong way after you've played it the right way. That's the best way to learn.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, see, I feel like that's that makes a lot of sense naturally. But the problem is like that's viewed almost from a scientific point of view where it makes total sense. If you're doing it wrong, you look at what was right, etc., etc. You analyze all the variables and you get a result. But obviously when we're practicing our instruments, emotion plays a huge part, frustration, excitement, and that for me tends to throw everything out the window then. You don't think rationally, you don't think of doing. oh, well, I'll just do this.
1: Well, when you're practicing, you can, you can just, I mean, I'm not really talking about performing so much, but I, more when I'm practicing, I'm, 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 I'm always just in my little laboratory trying yeah. to, Figure out good and you know, I keep notes. I fill up a legal pad once a month with whatever I've discovered practicing, what I observe about my students, and um, I never look at them again. But I do feel like writing it down helps me, uh, wow, okay, remember
0: it. Have you, and I think that's a really good
1: idea for people to write stuff down. Yeah,
0: what about recordings? Do you record yourself as well for practice purposes?
1: No, but I record all the time because I'm always posting my yeah. new stuff that I yeah. write. So that's that's been really good for me. My friend David Williams um, is a he, he's a flute maker. He now kind of runs the show at, at Powell. I think mean, he's oh, the head of it. And um he is a big recording guy and he was always saying you really need to record more and you need to, you know, blah blah blah. And I was like, "No, I don't want to do that." But I I started, I guess mostly during the pandemic just because well, I, yeah. and I've made a couple hundred, reco- at least a couple hundred recordings, and he he's he loves to tinker with video, so I send him the recording and then he kind of puts it together so yeah. it looks nice. Yeah.
0: But you wouldn't do that for practice purposes then, though?
1: No, I, you know, I think people overuse the, you know, like if I see somebody and they come in with a, one of those tuners and they put it on their stand, they've got their metronome and it goes on their stand, it's like, you know... Could you just play Mary Had a Little Lamb for me and and put all that away for a while? Let's see how you do what you do. Rather than using these tools that you feel you need to prop yourself up yeah. so that you can yeah. play it.
0: Yeah, I almost get secondhand anxiety off when off students when they do that kind of thing because I can tell that that's not something they do to get better. It's a safety net or it gives them a sense of comfort, but it's an anxious response usually of, if I don't have this, I'm fucked, as opposed to, having this makes me better and then I get I get anxious off them like well what happens if it runs out of batteries are you going to be panicked then
1: (laughs) well you know I I agree I feel the same way it makes me uncomfortable and I I think that it makes people play worse because there's a kind of a set that you do with your body when you're checking to see whether you're right about something yeah and playing shouldn't be that playing should be like free fall swimming flying it should be yeah it
0: definitely should be um right well I want to go into another thing you talked about because you caught my attention right at the start here when you said this before we recorded um studies you think be <laughs> yeah a really I, cool. I mean the
1: thing about studies is if it's good music like the castor A etudes are gorgeous yeah um something like that sure if you want to play them because they're hard but even those you know the guy didn't play the flute yeah. And some of the some of the stuff is just plainly mm, not really great for the flute, but yeah. Uh, I don't know. Flute players have this thing that I do not understand because I always want to play stuff that feels good. Yeah. Like, Naturally, yeah. I don't under, I do not understand the fascination with Cargillert. I do not understand the fascination with somebody who tells you to plunge down and play something triple forte because you know you can't do that. Yeah. On a on a beautiful old flute. They weren't designed for that. You yeah. can't do that on the lot. No, you definitely couldn't. No. And I, I just don't, I don't understand why people, flute players seem to like music that's really difficult because then they can show, I think maybe, you know what, maybe it's that, maybe, and I'm not speaking about anybody in, in particular, I'm just, my yeah. mind's just going yeah. here, but, but, you know, maybe, flute players can be limited by their repertoire oh, God, i mean
2: yeah.
1: speaking as a pianist i mean i got how many gorgeous mozart sonatas i can play any day yeah. beethoven sonatas flute players have just a fraction of stuff that's okay okay i mean even the mozart that the flute the flute players have it's not great. it's not it's 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 great but, but not, it's not as great yeah
0: it's not one of mozart's greatest works at all
1: yeah, and so it's it's frustrating that people, you know. So I think maybe it tends to make people feel like they need to conquer new territory or something. So they just want stuff they can stomp all over. Yeah. You know, how fast? How fast can you play this? Can you play the? Can you play the? Prelude to the Afternoon of Fawn and in, in one breath. Of the breath. breath.
0: breath. I fucking started all that.
1: Well, you know, let me just start on that because I'm going to show you. If you take that over, I'm going to take it over to my kid. Go for
0: it. Try not to trip. Oh, that would be good content, though. I get a lot of views if you did. It. <laughs> really?
1: So if I do, uh, you know, if you put your hand, I'm going to show you my hand. Okay. Yeah. See, watch my hand. See how it drops? So flute players do this. Yeah, yeah. It's all about this note. Yeah. Yeah. Then here, that's new. So there are plenty of places where that could breathe, right? Of course, yeah. But People get it in their heads. That it's only good if you can do it in one representative I have I, never
0: understood that. I, so.
1: I just find that so silly myself. But, you know, anyway, so I think flute players because of the, you know, the, there's not a whole lot of great music. And then, I don't know. I, I mean, I also have this theory that the flute is just so easy to get to be a B plus on. Yeah.
0: Okay. You know, that's fair enough.
1: <laughs> compared to the cello or the, or the violin, violin. Yeah. I mean, even to get to be a D on the yeah. violin. it's Not that many people, you know. Yeah. Flute players, almost anybody that picks it up, eh, you know, you they're can be able go the to play. You can be fine, yeah. And so I think flute players often, I'm, I'm speaking of, of people I teach, they kind of plateau out and then they start to have problems because yeah. they don't know how to get past there. And so then they start to push. And once they start to push, they start to have arm problems or... So do you think the secret
0: maybe lies in just changing up the repertoire or looking at new ideas of what to play?
1: I think that the repertoire has a lot to do with it. I think that if people... My advice to people is seriously just be able to play jingle bells with the most gorgeous sound that you've ever heard, and then you can pretty much play anything. But if you... If you're always playing stuff with an okay sound, you're never going to really be happy with your playing. Because I'm I'm all I'm all about tone myself. I know I just, you are. Yeah, it has to sound magical. It has to sound like it's just something happening all by itself. It sh- to yeah. me, I don't like flutes that sound sweaty. Sweaty?
0: What do you mean sweaty? Like as if there's effort attached to it? Yeah, like somebody's just
1: working really hard, and they're, they're, you you watch them, and there's all these gesticulating and the now we've got people that dance while they're playing yeah. and all this stuff and I was like, I don't know I find, I find just, it's just hard enough for me to stand there and leave my leave myself alone and let it out you know, yeah. it takes a lot of focus cause...
0: Out of curiosity do you have any I'm not even speaking of current fruit players but do you have any fruit players from history in general that you particularly sure, like? Sure, sure, sure Who are your favourites? My,
1: yeah, my favourites are my teacher Julius Baker
0: Yeah, I would have guessed that, yeah
1: uh, love Ron Paul
0: Yeah, okay.
1: and I yeah. love Elaine Schaefer, Do you know her playing?
0: Do You know, my teacher at Royal Welsh used to show me a lot of her or give me recordings of her playing, but I can't remember. I can't well, remember. listen
1: to the slow movements of the box and autos. They're just unearthly. They're gorgeous. Yeah. See, I need uh, a, the woman.
0: Where? What? Like, what kind of era was she in? Where is she from? I think she died
1: in the seventies. Yeah, I think her her big time was in the fifties and yeah, 60s. like
0: really, yeah, yeah. Because I remember the recordings not being amazing quality, obviously, but yeah. My old teacher, Thanks. Royal Wells, used to show me a lot of this stuff. Um, one player I became very attached to as well was Thomas Nyfinger as well. That was a player that I got yeah, really he, was really a, familiar with. he was
1: a very he was a very good player. He, he was he was a kind of a destructive person. Oh, really? Okay. I I well, I went to I played. Um, I guess when I was like 15, I went to Julius Baker's master class, and I guess I played. And Tom Nifenger apparently came up to me afterwards because years later I met him and he said, "You just blew me off. You didn't even want to talk to me." It's like, well, I was like 15, so yeah. what is your problem? <laughs> you know, you 45 year old crazy yeah. person. And What's it actually yeah. did turn out he, he did have a lot of mental problems. And but I, you know, I went to him when I, I had a lot some problems when I. When I came to Juilliard, I I um I was 17. I moved to New York City, yeah. and you know Julius Baker was like not teaching me. He just didn't tell you how to do anything. And once I got to Juilliard, he, he would show up late for lessons and sit there and eat his chicken and read his paper. And mostly my lessons were about you know like the Israeli Philharmonic players would come in and they go he go you gotta listen to this kid. And then I'd have to play. And that was my lesson. Okay. Okay. And so I really needed help because I was struggling a lot with, with my identity. I, yeah. You know, I knew I was gay, but I hadn't been out to my parents or anything. And so I I did this uh, competition, and I didn't win first prize. I won third prize. Okay. And he, he said, oh, it's because your pianist is a fag. Whoa. So, yeah. And so I... I just i called him the next day and i said look you know and after that i just wasn't comfortable because my own self-confidence wasn't good in that department and also because he clearly had a stick with gay people oh my god yeah well yeah what so years I we just, what years were
0: you in judy art uh 77
1: to 81
0: yeah so like from my, I'm just running off the top of my head here, but wasn't that the time in New York where you would have had like the disco scene sort of exploding as well, Studio 54, oh, yeah. I, all I, that kind of stuff? I,
1: I I used to go to Studio 54. Okay. I, wow. I, traveled, okay. I traveled with a very, um, I met someone and he was friends with all these people from Caracas that were just like Rolls royce Yeah. And I mean, I was never into cocaine and all that stuff, yeah. but that was all going on. I remember once we went to studio 54 on new year's eve and as we walked out they filled the hallway with glitter like up to your knees
0: oh wow okay
1: so you had to walk through all this glitter and it was pretty glamorous for you know like a 19 year old
0: yeah well like Um, i can only imagine like at that age moving to new york coming from a small town going there and also new york at the time obviously you had disco but you had like the punk rock scene with the ramones sort of kick off and hip hop was in its early days there must have been a lot going on in the city did you get a chance to like get involved or to get to see other music or were you purely just like stuck in Judy Yard working there all the time
1: well i mean i was always very focused on my stuff but i did go to clubs so okay. i did hear some of the the new stuff and um i don't i don't really know much about that music i just know what i like okay what do um, you like give us a few <laughs> uh oh hold on a second somebody's trying to call me i gotta turn
0: this off oh i thought that was your actual door yes. no it's my it's oh. my phone ring i was hoping it was going to be someone famous because i had an extra guest on the podcast <laughs> well i uh, what's your can I, I go... can I ask you like what would be your your guilty pleasure music uh
1: let's see
0: because i know you listen to jazz yeah. and you're very sophisticated you've got a great taste in music but what do you listen to when no one's looking um, what pop music do
1: you like i'm i'm embarrassed to say that i just don't really i don't pay attention to it very much i used to so when i was head. you know when i was in my 20s and i was going out to bars yeah. and clubs and stuff i heard it all and i like i like a lot of those songs a lot all disco songs oh, i love disco Um yeah
0: you do oh i'm a big disco man yeah i'm a big disco fan yeah
1: i mean i remember all those rod stewart songs and all that stuff and i, I like i liked it a lot but um I, I don't really know now it's all just like well
0: i'll give you this one then if you went to karaoke and you had to sing a karaoke song what would be your song
1: um you oh, strike me as a bit of
0: a you strike me as a bit of a frank Sinatra man would that be fair oh, really? say? Would you do a bit of
1: Snapchat? Uh, no, it would. Be, oh, oh, not a disco song. I mean, like any song.
0: Any song, any karaoke song.
1: Uh, God, you ask. Have you sang karaoke
0: for... before? Have you ever sang karaoke? No, no, I've no. Never done it. no. Oh well, there's one for.
1: I don't know. Maybe Moon River.
0: Good one. Okay, classic. I like <laughs> that song.
1: It's yeah. a beautiful song. That's a gorgeous. The lyric song. is so evocative, and it's just such a moving song. Yeah. Uh, it's greater one. than the sum of its parts. True.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's a good answer. That's good. You get it. And it's that visual. One. You can just
1: kind of see it when you listen to it. So that's. I love that. I love "Love Is Blue." Love is a blue. Love is blue. Love is blue. I don't know that. It goes like this.
0: Wait. oh, do you know what I read? <laughs> can you take requests?
2: <laughs> yes, Jim.
1: blue.
0: Wait.
1: Blue, blue. My love is blue. Here's my love but listen to it it's it's really
0: yeah, oh, it's, wait, like, wait, it's, wait. yeah it's got that lovely I, cabaret I, kind of vibe to it
1: but it's very baroque I'm listening to, I'll do it for you on a more appropriate instrument oh please oh okay. <laughs>
0: I love that. Oh, you yeah, me too? We can yeah. cancel the podcast okay. if you want. You can just, you could be like a jukebox in the corner. I can just give you songs and things. <laughs> this is great. I'm having a to and tonic, listen to a bit of harpsichord. This is great. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I
1: do love that music from the 60s, from when I was a little boy. Yeah. Did my you get mother... any of that?
0: Like, yeah, so like, one thing I always find fascinating is what kind of music taste you might have got off people around you sort of through secondhand.
1: Well, my... Well, my brother didn't get classical music at all, and he loved um, Led Zeppelin, and he was a big Beatles fan, and all that kind of music.
0: I would have thought um, you would have been attracted. I would have thought you had a Beatles. Though. I love the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
1: think they're gorgeous. I mean, Beatles also—they're just—it's so much based on old music. Yeah, on it is. Yeah, Italian uh, art song and hugely, yeah. I'm a massive Beatles fan,
0: so yeah, I would've yeah. I feel like a lot of musicians are big fans of the Beatles. You can always sort of track it back to the Beatles at some point. Well when you think about a song like Um Oh please play me some Beatles, this is great. Some you know like wait, see It's gorgeous. You
1: know, a little baroque. Thing,
0: right? Well, I've to be fair. I've always had this thing in my head of I would compare the Beatles slightly to
1: Mozart. Yeah, and and Bach. Yeah. You know, because there's a baroque. There's a what's that one? What's what's one of their other slow songs? Like Let a famous one. would be the most famous, maybe. Long and
0: winding yeah. road. Uh, there's a you know. Here comes the sun. it's oh. a George Harrison one. Um, yeah,
1: but you know they all kind of have a, a classical bent.
0: Oh yeah, hugely. Yeah, there's um, one with the a bar- There's one with a harpsichord solo, isn't it? Uh, I there's one that has a harpsichord solo in it. Okay, well, I one mean, the just the the, the the
1: chord patterns are interesting. They're in beautiful. Guitar, I, yeah, I mean, it feels like. I mean, I live in Harlem, and every once in a while, somebody just has to. Put down the windows of their car and put their stereo system as loud as it can possibly go and park in front of my house. And, what to the and it's mostly <laughs> what do you get? It's hip hop. It's like loud and hip hop, and it's like this beat. And I just that that's kind of replaced the chord changes, which I find a little bit sad. Yeah, I don't know if I find it
0: sad. I'm a big hip hop man as well, but
1: yeah, I'm a big everything. Well, man, I, miss, I'm, I miss I miss hearing the the melodies. Um, I miss, he- I miss hearing the chords.
0: Yeah, to be fair, that's probably the biggest attraction of the Beatles as well is those beautiful melodies. And yeah, and that's very evident in your writing as well. So... Thank you. Yeah, yeah well, it's always very melodic. I know, like to me, I think I read somewhere in one of the interviews you did that you didn't like being compared to a certain French composer. I can't remember which one. I think someone called you or yeah.
1: I am like, I'm a little too lankish. But to be I, fair, I that's,
0: it, to be, that's that's a good thing in my book. I
1: am a it's mad, not bad. But I, think, I think, you know, all, you know, artists want to, you know, everybody, I think people want to feel that they're unique. And so, you know, when you compare them, but it's kind of how else are you going to put something well, in yeah, perspective?
0: Yeah, naturally. Well, Gary, listen, we haven't got much time left, but do you mind if I ask you a couple of quick fire questions? Sure. I have some quickfire ones. I don't know if you're familiar with Inside the Actor's Studio, but they have a set of 10 questions for artists. So I'm going to give okay. you a couple of quickfire questions. And, well, not too quickfire. We've got 10 minutes. Yeah. i no rush. But um, I'll run through them and see what you think. So, question number one What is your favorite word? You can go any language if you want. Hmm. Love. Good answer. What is your least favourite word?
1: Trump. Oh,
0: God. I thought you were going to say hate there as well, but that's even better. Uh, what turns you on creatively?
1: I don't know. Uh, I guess it's... You mean what happens? No, what gets you? Just, what
0: gets you going creatively? What sort of sparks that creative fuse?
1: Frustration.
0: Ooh, very poetic. Uh, what turns you off creatively? What kills the creativity? Fatigue. 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 Uh, what sound or noise do you love? I was looking forward to this one. Rain. Good one. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate?
1: Hate. I don't. Neils on a oh, blackboard, or anything scre- A screeching, yeah, uh, screeching noise like if yeah. the subways screeching. I hate that. Yeah, I'm not a big I fan don't. Of it. I, I, I hate, fan hate of it. It if somebody scrapes a pot with the fork. That's a
0: horrible one. Yeah, I did that today myself. <laughs> I did that about ago, Fuck. Okay, two left. You don't have the answer. This one, if you don't want to. But what is your favorite curse okay. word? Curse word? Your favorite.
1: Um. Oh no, I can't say that because people are going to get really offended. You could—is it a bad one? No, because I've already got to bleep
0: out one word in this episode. So it's it's
1: it's just like um, I mean, you mean? See, I don't tend to I don't tend to swear when I'm angry. Do you mean just like as a word or a word that as a I word?
0: don't use? Either either like my, my favorite is "shite." I think it's a beautiful word because it's not too harsh, it's not too offensive, but it's poetic and it's got a very Distinct description. So, uh, no.
1: Well, I would say that "shit" is probably the word that I'm. I can feel you know here when I say it. Yeah, like, yeah, shit. yeah. But often, yeah. often the only problem with "shit" with me, it it can also mean that I've made a mistake. It's like "shit," because yeah. you can also pull the you can pull the eye right down into your lower spine. You can. Shit. You know that, but you never That's have like
0: good. a good like "shit." Yeah, you wouldn't get yeah. one of them
1: no I'm not one
0: of those ah okay then well it could still be your favourite for that reason and the last question uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
1: I writing
0: really? like as an author? Mm -hmm. yeah there you are I did not expect I don't know what I expected but didn't expect that well
1: I uh, I mean I like doing other things I'm really good at putting furniture and paintings and stuff I hear you're quite a
0: handy gardener as well you've got green fingers
1: I'm a yeah Yeah. just before this i was uh, dumping lots of uh, soil and stuff out back and And you're a bit of a bread uh,
0: baker as well i hear
1: yeah i love to bake bread but i think yeah if i were going to do something i would like another artistic pursuit like if i suddenly couldn't play i would start to write okay would you write fiction
0: or yeah prose short stories a bit of everything prose is there any knocking about is there any gary shocker Who's knocking about that we don't know about.
1: Well, I mean, not really. Okay. I I I I but I I would I think it'd be fun to try to figure that out. And you know, the more I watch when I use my elliptical machine downstairs, I watch at Netflix. Yeah. And I've watched so many series now that I can pretty much predict what's going to happen, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm just generally, and I enjoy watching so, so. how people, I've been watching The Lying Life of Adults. Have you seen that? I haven't, no. It's based on the Elena Ferrante novel, and okay. it's just amazing. The acting is so beautiful, but then the the way it's shot, the ideas are all there, but they're not so obvious. Okay, is it um, on, is that
0: a Netflix series, or is that? Yeah, yeah, it's on Netflix. I just I love it. And it's in the
1: t- so I, I can practice my Italian. You
0: speak a bit of Italian, do you as well? A little bit, yeah. Cool. There you are. Well, I've learned right. a lot, Gary. I would go on for another two hours here happily, but I need to keep this under an hour, roughly. So, okay.
1: Well, it was really
0: nice talking to you. It was thinking, an unbelievable you. pleasure. Um, I, Should I,
1: I say it's been nice talking at you? But absolutely I've not. tried. Okay. Here fine. I've got a
0: Beatles concert in this. I am delighted. I'm going to edit that out just for me. That's for my evening. Okay. Weekend. Nice, Gary. Thank you so much. I'm going to hit stop record here, and then I'll chat the afterwards. But um, thank you so much. I really hope that we will get another chance to do this again sometime. Maybe that's oh, yeah. Uh...
1: In in a di- in a different season.
0: Uh, I noticed that as well. Yeah. Are you Halloween man? Are you buzzing for it?
1: My friend Susan sent me two this is the exterior pumpkin color and she sent me the interior pumpkin color as well ah wow which is closer to the wall color it's nice to have friends
0: in high places isn't it well thank you very much carrie i'm gonna head stop now and we'll have a little chat uh we'll just say goodbye to everybody then uh yeah cheers everybody for tuning in i hope you all enjoyed that as much as we did cheerio bye